Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Wynn, and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. As we reflect on a playoff semi-final first leg, that gives us a bit of a mountain to climb on Saturday in the second leg of the Stadium of Light. And to help me go through it is someone who you may well have brought the action to, to many of you as he was on the scene commentating for BBC Radio Newcastle. It is, of course, Nick Barnes. Hi, Nick. Hello. Good to speak with you. Um, <laughs> you can tell by my tone, can't you? Well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were saying just before we kind of started recording that I'm, I'm struggling to kind of, you know, get the impetus and energy to, to go through it all again. But uh, but I imagine it was, uh, it was a quiet trip back from, from Lincoln after the game. Uh, yes, it was. Um, I think we were a little bit lost for words. Um, I was just thinking back then to the end of the game and because there were fans in the stadium, it, it made a you know a huge difference to the atmosphere. And clearly all around us, the Lincoln fans were absolutely buzzing. And I was just sort of deflated. I just, I just sort of stood there waiting for them to exit the stadium because they, they, they weren't allowed to go out straight away, which is another strange sort of result of all this COVID and the protocol. So you, you're standing waiting for three, four, five minutes before the home fans started to disperse and, you know, you had to uh, sort of time to reflect them, but I, I just felt a, a little bit it was like, you know, a pop balloon. I just felt absolutely deflated because I didn't see that result coming. Actually. I, I, I mean, I'd had fears of a Oxford Blackpool sort of result. Um, and there were periods in the last 15, 20 minutes of the game when I honestly did fear that Lincoln could get a third and it would be, well and truly all over. Um, and so praying that either Sunderland got one or, heaven forbid, two goals back last night, but certainly didn't concede a third. And um, so it was all a bit mixed. I mean, it was just, you know, on one hand, I was feeling that, you know, look, there is still a, a chance. There's an, you know, there's hope. Um, but on the other side of it was this sort of real deflation, you know, just sort of being like I'd just been slapped in the face. It was, it was, it was odd, very strange. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt in the house, feeling like I've been slapped in the face. But but just because you touched on it, and we'll, we'll probably circle back to it before we get to the end, but uh, just because you mentioned it there, um, I, mean, I mean, talking about hope, I mean, some of it we might cling to the fact, you know, that, that celebration after the game seemed to be a prolonged celebration, which, you know, you know on, on the psychological side, hopefully it might kind of lull Lincoln into thinking they've already done it and they were kind of celebrating so much last night. 
That, well, they might forget there's a second leg. Yeah, it was interesting because driving back um, late on, actually, I, it was on Five Live, I heard um, Colin Murray had a Lincoln fan on and a Sunderland fan on to sort of dissect the evening. And I was actually quite surprised by the Lincoln fan's response. I thought he would be fairly gung-ho and, and very upbeat with a 2-0 win and thinking or assuming that they were probably, you know, pretty much favourites to get to, to Wembley. And in fact, it was quite the reverse. I think it, it, by the tone of the Lincoln fans' sort of conversation, I think they felt last night was almost a one-off and they still felt that there was not necessarily, this wasn't, this is, this isn't over. Um, and I, I think he was probably an exception because I think I get the impression from the Lincoln fans in the stadium that they felt now it is all over. I think they feel that they've done the job. So I think you're right. There may be an element of Lincoln feeling job done. And I know Marco Gabbiadini always shoots a stand in flames when you say two nils a dangerous lead. But it is. And I and I think, you know, proof of that was Accrington the other week. Um, I think 2-0 is a dangerous lead. I think there is a danger that Lincoln, from their perspective, can come into the game and think, right, all we need to do is keep things tight. Um, and, you know, the longer it goes 2-0, or if we can sneak one, then we're, we're through. But if Sunderland score, if they can get that first goal, I, it, it, it does change the tie. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's... Yeah. I'm not sort of clutching at straws here. I'm not trying to be overly optimistic. But if Sunderland score first and it's 1-2, then they're back in it. And it's interesting that Lee Johnson in his post-match last night was talking in terms of if we can get to extra time and penalties. Now, is that his thinking? I hope not. I I want it wrapped up in the 90 minutes. I'd like to see them score three goals and beat Lincoln, you know, convincingly in that manner. But uh, it's sort of portrayed in his own mind and perhaps an admission that he, he, this, I mean, on the one hand, he's saying we've got goals. We can score two, three, four, five goals. I'm, I'm not absolutely entirely convinced that's the case. On the other hand, he's talking about getting it to extra time. Now I, I to my mind, that's a betrayal that he actually hasn't got a hundred percent faith that his squad is a goal machine. So it's all about mm. tactics. It's all about making sure you don't concede the first goal at the stadium of light, because that again, uh, will completely change the tie. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's go into last night's game because that might help us go on to Saturday. And and there's another couple of comments I want to um, kind of uh, ask you about that Lee Johnson made that were quite interesting. But let's go let's go into last night's game first. Um, and even before a ball was kicked, I mean, a lot was made of the inclusion of Tom Flanagan mm. uh, at the back. I mean, what did you make of that before kickoff? Because, you know, he's been out of the scene, he's had an injury question marks whether he's fully fit to throw him into such a big game when okay that, that partnership of Bailey Wright and Luke O'Neill were faltering but they still had some sort of a partnership and so so what was kind of made of it before kickoff well interesting we'd had a conversation uh, at lunchtime about that whole scenario and my take on it was um I think to a certain extent Lee Johnson's risk averse and I, I didn't think he would risk Tom Flanagan um I think he's been, I mean, I, the question I put to Lee on Monday ahead of this game was, do you play Tom Flanagan because it's a risk and it's a gamble? Um, and that's not something he uh, sort of denied or played down or played up. I think he was playing his cards close to his chest on Monday because I think he probably had it in the back of his mind. Well, he obviously did, that Flanagan was going to play and he didn't want Michael Appleton to get wind of that. But my um, issue with it is, and I think you've sort of, 
hinted there is that for all the deficiencies in O'Neill and Wright at the moment, and there and there are, they have been playing together. They are in a position, um, y- you know, where while they may make mistakes, they are the two that have been playing on a regular basis. To throw Tom Flanagan into this, a, a, you know, a game of the magnitude to which it it it, it is or was was really really risky it was a big gamble um it clearly didn't work and i think lee johnson after the game pretty much admitted that and and and, and you know accepted it it was a it was a gamble and a risk that he took and didn't didn't work but um yeah i just felt that whilst you know you, you you've got an issue at the back without question this whole right back center back issue mm. and we know now that Colin McLaughlin's out for the rest of the season, mm. um, but um, I was thinking last night. Well, what, what do you do? You, if if you have got that problem with right back, well, play power there um, as you've done before. Take you know, while it's not ideal, you've still got Scoin, you've got Winchester, you've got Leadbitter. You, it's not as though you're devoid of options in in central midfield. So I. I I, I just felt when I saw that I was surprised when I saw the team sheet. When I saw Flanagan was starting, I I actually, you know, took a deep breath because I thought, look, this is this is either going to work magnificently or it's going to backfire. It's not going to work. And, and and knowing Sunderland's luck this season with injuries and proof last night with Hume with his hamstring within ten minutes, um, I thought that sort of underlined why it was probably a gamble that wasn't worth taking because the first leg the first from my point of view the first leg is the leg you don't want to lose you you know you yeah. can you can you can leave on a nil nil you can go on a one one you can win the game to take back to the second leg and there you can do the hard work but i think you know to gamble in the first leg where as we saw with oxford and blackpool it could go horribly wrong um was to my mind too much of a gamble yeah, well, I mean, I mean, go, speaking about keeping on the subject of gambles, I mean, going into that first half, first half was cagey to yeah. kind of take the kind of matching each other up. Lincoln always seemed the the most likely to score out the two sides. Burge made a couple of really good saves, actually. Uh, I mean, at the end of the first half, I was pretty relieved um, to go in at half time. But I mean, we were talking about gambles there. Were you were you a little bit surprised we weren't more on the front foot? Because I mean, from my point of view, in that first half. I couldn't tell if our plan was to to press Lincoln or to keep it tight. We didn't seem to have a, you know, we didn't seem to have a, a an exact plan. You couldn't see us executing something to say let's keep the ball or let's get the ball quick forward quickly. There, there didn't seem a definitive. This is how we're going to play last night. Um, yeah, I agree with you to a, to an extent. I think at half time when I had the conversation with Benno, I felt that it was almost a game of two halves. I thought Lincoln did start strongly. I thought for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, they were clearly the dominant side. They were enjoying more possession. They were, they, they had an outlet with Regan Poole and Brennan Johnson and they were, and Scully. They were, they were clearly uh, hell bent on getting the ball to them. Um, the Hume injury didn't help. Um, and I, and I just felt that I'd accept it in the sense that Lincoln were the home team. They had the fans behind them. They, they came out um, to, 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 put Sunderland under early pressure, I think, to try and get the early goal. And and I could see that that was what Lincoln, I think, were trying to do. Sunderland didn't seem to have an outlet. I, I'm, I'm still, I know we're going to talk about this, you know, Wyke, I felt, was just isolated and didn't get anywhere near the ball. Um, and and Lincoln sort of benefited from from that 
um, in Sunderland's sort of first half play. I thought the second half of the first half, Sunderland started to get on the ball more. They started to get hold of it. They started to get a bit more of a grip. Um, and I, I think I was sort of happy for them to get to half time at nil nil in the knowledge that look they they've got them they've played themselves into the game now. Um, and Benno said, well, there's no need to change anything. There's no need to tinker because they are in the game now. And I and I, and I sort of I, I tend to agree with that. And I think you know if I wanted backup for that was the way they started the second half. I thought they started by far the brighter of the two teams. And in, in a way, they started like Lincoln had started the first half. Had they been lucky enough to score in that spell well who knows it'd have been a different game perhaps but you know the problem was they they didn't and you know Lincoln went down the other end and and you you have to point the finger at Sunderland's defense because they didn't they didn't clear their lines after Burge had made you know a respectable save from George Grant but for, for Grant to get a second opportunity then which led to the goal well then that that was negligent if you like yeah, I mean, uh, you were exactly right in that second half. I had, I had the same feeling that we came out looking much brighter. That he'd obviously had words with them, changed a few things in terms of what they were doing and how they were getting the ball forward. Because I thought that, as you said, that that was the main issue and how we got the ball forward and mm. you know not leaving Wake isolated or or asking Wake to to give us a little bit of movement. But it was only a few minutes into the second half. Bailey Wright, you know, thundered that header against the bar. Probably should have done better if he if that had gone down. I think I think that that had gone in. Um, obviously, would it would have changed the game? But I mean, you know, go, you know, kind of extending this point out. I mean, I've I've been banging on the drum for a little while that I don't think that during the bad run that we had, we were playing that much differently to it to what we were during the good run that we had. The difference was that we had a striker who was in form, and we were taking mm-hmm. those chances and getting a lead that we could build on, and then we were we were finishing teams off and winning, getting three points. Whereas now, because those goals have dried up, it's when we struggle, you know, the longer the game goes on and then if the opposition take the lead, the heads start to go down and and we kind of lose it and we, we don't get the result. But in terms of the performances and the way we're playing, you know, getting the ball wide, trying to get the ball in, I don't think there's that much difference. It's just we're not taking... We've never blown teams away. We've never been fantastic in this division this season. It's just a case of we're not we're not taking the lead. We're not building that confidence up. I don't disagree, and I think, you know, if you if you when you when you look back, Sunderland finished fourth. Funnily enough, at the start of the season when we did our predictions for total sport at work, I said Sunderland would finish fourth on the basis I I, I just didn't believe that the squad that Sunderland had was um, dynamic, if you like, for for want of a better word, in the same way that Hulls and Peterborough's have proved to be, and Peterborough's actually especially, um, and that there, I mean. At the start of the season, we we didn't have any idea under Phil Parkinson that Charlie White was going to be the striker he turned out to be this season. And you know, whilst there be you know there's some criticism, probably quite rightly, to be levelled at Lee Johnson in certain areas. One area where I think he can be applauded is the fact that he did get Charlie White scoring goals again. Um, rebuilt, you know, he rebuilt Charlie White, you know, in the six million dollar man. But um, you, you know, and and without that. Where would Sunderland have finished? There, that, that there is a serious question to be asked there. Without Charlie White's goals, take them out of the equation, then Sunderland would have um, probably struggled to even make the playoffs. So, I think that that for for me, watching Lincoln last night, one player in the end actually stood out um, and started to to run the show, if you like, and that was George Grant. 
and I don't and I and, he, and he looked at the way he played, the way he got on the ball, the way he caused Sunderland's problems. I, I just think we we come back to this every season. Sunderland don't seem to be able to get hold of or sign a player of that ilk who can dominate midfield. Again, I, you know we we've been anonymous, I think, in midfield in a, in a lot of games. Whilst there's been a lot of good play, that's down largely, I think, to when. Players like Jordan Jones is having a good game or McGeady's been able to get on the ball and has not been marked out of the game. Um, when Gooch, McGeady, Jones, have all got closer to Jones and they've caused problems in the opposition penalty area. And when you looked at the team sheet last night, I looked at the, the attacking third and I thought, well, actually, that's fine. I'm, I've, you know, we, we, we sort of touched on the defence. But I think the other, the other end of the field, I, I, I looked at that team sheet and thought, well, fine, I'm happy with that. Jones, McGeady, Gooch, White. For me, that was a solid attacking unit if they could get the ball into White's feet, into the Lincoln penalty area. And all credit to Lincoln, they did an effective job in shutting Sunderland out. But I, I, I echo what you say about those performances when they went on that seven-match run without a win. The Wigan match aside, you know, they were, they were pretty much toe-to-toe with Blackpool, bar one amazing strike in the game at the Stadium of Light bar a mistake at Bloomfield Road where they were gifted a goal, if you like, but, um, you know, always felt that those two games were always going to be one goal in it. And as it happened, Blackpool got that one goal on both occasions. Um, the other games, again, you know, you, you know Charlton, um, were Sunderland a better side on the day? Probably were, but Charlton just had that, it was running with them that day and, and the shortcomings of Sunderland's squad become apparent when things aren't quite running for you. That's where you need that, you know, looking forwards in, in terms of recruitment, that's where you need to look at what, where are you going to find that 10%, which those other teams at the moment seem to have. For me, you've touched on it there that, you know, we, you talking about the resurgence of Charlie Wag under, under Lee Johnson, but, you know, you could argue that it was the resurgence of Aidan McGeady that that kind of play, played into that and what what Lee Johnson did because I mean yes you know Phil Parkinson um you know he he had the record that he had and it's you know on paper I think it, I haven't kind of looked at the exact numbers but I think it's fairly similar to, to Lee Johnson actually but but the difference was I think you know with Phil Parkinson he he got us you know completely solid at the back and we kept possession probably so much to our detriment that we, we didn't end up making any chances and Lee Johnson's changed things that we create more chances, but that means there's more risk going the other way when, mm. when we can concede. And as you said, you know, he got White going, which was, you know, partly down to bringing McGeady back in. But the issue is when you have a striker like Charlie White up front, you do become one dimensional and you become reliant on that, you know, on those partnerships, you know, that Jones to White, McGeady to White, Gooch to White. And it's all about getting the ball in and, you know, getting the ball wide and getting the ball into the box. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a genius, you know, if you're an opposition manager, if you watch Sunderland, to say, OK, well, you know, we'll double up out wide mm. and stop them getting the ball into the box. And w- what else have they got? I, I, I agree with you. And I think you know, you're right. McGeady coming back in, when well, Lee Johnson's right. You, you don't leave a player like McGeady to wallow in the under 23s when you've got a player of his talent you 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 bring him back into the fold and as he admits he he can be difficult to 
to man manage. Um, but that was an admission made by Jack Ross and Phil Parkinson. You know, all three of them know or knew that McGeady's a character or a footballer that you have to man manage. Um, Jack Ross managed it. It's just that McGeady got injured. Phil Parkinson didn't. And he isolated him. He ostracised him, I think, to the detriment of, of the squad, obviously. Um, and Lee Johnson, you know, came in, brought him back in. You're right. They are one dimensional club. I, I think, you know, a problem with Phil Parkinson when that run to the end of last season before it was curtailed. I think he was he was ultra conservative. Um, you know, once people have picked up on the fact he was playing the system he was playing and he wouldn't change it. Um, opposition managers within four or five games sussed it out and, you know, they negated whatever threat Sunderland had. And I think the problem with Lee Johnson is that, to a certain extent, he too is, I, mean, I mentioned that, risk-averse again. And, and by that, I mean, when you've got a player like Chris Maguire in your squad and you're putting him on the bench, why aren't you using him more? Because we've seen that he can have an impact um, he may not be doing everything by the manual and he's a maverick, but isn't that sometimes what you need? Because that's not what the opposition are expecting. The opposition have already know they know all about Jones. They know all about McGeady. They know all about Gooch. They know exactly what White will give you. But Maguire is an enigma in, in the sense that, yeah, if you start him on a regular basis, you're going to suffer from inconsistency. You'll get two or three good games from him, then his form dips. But if you've got him in the right frame of mind and you're using him off the bench, then as we saw, I think a prime example was Crew, wasn't it, when Jones and Maguire came on. When you use him in that sense, and I'm I would have, you know, I would have had an option. My preferred option last night would have been to see Maguire come on for 20 minutes. Because I think he's the sort of player that, you know, starts to rough the opposition up. He he gets, you know, his um set pieces and so on. I I just think um it's an option and 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 it's and he's not being used and i think when the games are as important as they are at the moment these playoff games just felt i just felt they missed a trick in 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 not in not using him yeah and i mean yeah you do the obvious the, the obvious look at um at social media comments from friends you know group chats whatever i mean the thing on it the biggest frustration with with lee johnson people you know it's kind of split between the risk of the in the starting lineup with Flanagan, etc. But the biggest frustration was the substitutions. Now, you know, we, we went we went one nil down um and we actually picked it up. We were the better side for a 15, 20 minute period after after that and we looked like we might get it back and get back on level terms. But uh but after and we'll come back onto the calamity of the second goal in a minute, but um but in terms of after we went two nil down, I mean when when a goal can change the tie so much as you said mm. right at the beginning. What I mean, you can maybe understand Ledbetter to put a foot on the ball, calm things down a little bit, um, Ross Stewart to stretch the game, but then you you know you still need that moment. You still need that player who can produce that one single moment. You know, like he did it uh, when he came on a crew and changed the game, um, and he gave us when, when he's up for it, he he can completely change a game. And it's a big kind of um, it's a big negative last night that people have put against Lee Johnson's name in terms of those substitutions. And it's put a big question mark on his back, not bringing this enigma on the pitch when you need a moment. It's interesting because when you speak to Lee Johnson about Maguire, he's adamant and he's, and he's been asked about it several times. He's, he's, 
he says there's absolutely no issue with Maguire at all. You know, there's no sort of personality problem there. There's no it it it, but it it constantly it doesn't chime with why he's not being used, why he's not coming on when we know. And is is it because Lee Johnson is very OCD in the way that he sets his teams up, the way that he organizes his sort of homework, if you like, for the games? I mean, I, Benno and I had this long conversation about, but well, it's a frustration, I think, that in the modern game, coaches coach to the manual, and if you don't coach to the manual, you, you're not going to get in the team. And I think there's an element of that in Lee Johnson that he. If, if you like, over coaches, you know, we, we know all about his desire to have video screens on the training pitch and analysing every kick, every pass, every tackle, every set piece. Well, is there an argument that there's sometimes this over analysis? And is this and does Maguire not fit in because he's the one player that you, you, you know, we all know what Chris Maguire's like. He's the one player, you know, probably isn't receptive to those long you know, here's the tactics board, here's what you should be doing on the iPad, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and that sort of enigmatic part of Chris Maguire is where suddenly the wires go in Lee Johnson's head and he can't cope with that. And so to cope with it, he doesn't play him because it doesn't fit in with his plan. But I, I, it, it, it is frustrating. And I think last night, you know, I think what we saw in the last 15, 20 minutes again is that Luke O'Neill, Look, love him, and he's an absolutely fantastic player to have in your side. But he is headstrong. He's picking up yellow cards on a game by game basis now because he gets frustrated, and that's you know part of that is this because he's playing out of position and doesn't know where he's where his best position is. And I actually there there was an argument, you know, we had this before the game last night that perhaps O'Neill was going to sit in the middle and Power was going to play at right back because. It's it's maybe more O'Neill's natural position to be in a more central forward position because he likes to get forwards. Yeah, well, I mean, just just on Maguire, I mean, just to kind of follow your point through, was that you know I, I completely agree. I mean, I think everyone would agree on that point with in terms of Lee Johnson and how he probably looks at Chris Maguire. And I think it's certain Chris Maguire won't be at the club next season. Mm. He doesn't he doesn't fit into Lee Johnson's style. You know how he wants to set up with the right players. But when it comes to 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left, five minutes left, you, you're 2-0 down and, you you know, a goal, one goal will change absolutely everything. It doesn't become about tactics then. It's about that one moment, that one moment of genius that someone could come up with. And yeah. it doesn't really make a difference if he doesn't follow his man at that point. No, it doesn't. I, 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 can, I can sort of see what was going through Johnson, Taylor, McComb, their minds is that Luke O'Neill's on a yellow card. You haven't got any other defenders on the bench. You, you've you got to try and calm things down. That's why Leadbitter comes on. At the same time, for all that, you, you, you're you taking out the the bite, if you like. Um, yeah, you, you're, you're risking. You've got a risk that O'Neill might pick up a second yellow card. You've got to, you know, be aware of the risk of Lincoln scoring a third. That was, you know... Clearly, a reality. You, you you know that if you're going to push forward in search of a a goal or or two goals, you're going to leave the back door open. But that's where you've got, I think, sometimes to to hold your nerve and say, look, while we are in danger of conceding a third, we have also got the players who can score 
at the other end and put Lincoln under pressure and give them something different to think about. But I don't think they actually gave Lincoln any anything really to think about. They threw Stewart on, you know, but, you know, Lincoln had the players to deal with him at the back, Poole, Montsmar. Um, they bought on the, you know, I, I, it was no surprise they bought on the Grandos. Look at, look, look at the height of him. They, they brought him on again to negate any sort of aerial threat that Sunderland were predictably going to throw at Lincoln in the last 15 minutes. We didn't see anything from Sunderland to try and open up uh, Lincoln being a bit more methodical in in sense of having someone like Maguire who may win you a free kick around the penalty area and things like that. And and that to me was, it was frustrating because I just felt that, you know, Sunderland could have played on till midnight last night and not scored. (laughs) Yeah, and I I will, you know, just before we put a full stop on the Maguire conversation, I will caveat the whole point that, um, you know, Maguire could have easily come on and being a passenger in the game as much as he could have. <laughs> of course, but yeah, but you know, without trying it, I, I just yeah, feel that, exactly. you know, why, why put him on the bench? Why, if, if you, if you're, you know, if you if got it in your head that he's, you know, it's too much of a gamble, why put him on the bench in the first place? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is just for argument's sake. Why didn't you put Ollie Younger on the bench knowing that O'Neill might lose his head? And, and then you put Younger on and you just have a bit of stability you know, without having yep. to worry about a nine picking up a second yellow card, etc. It just, I, I just find it, I can't really get my head around why when you've got Maguire there and he's sitting on the bench, you, you, you decide not to use him. That's exactly the point. That's the whole reason for him being on the bench. You're struggling yep. to create up top, you bring him on to change things. And we were struggling up top and he wasn't brought on to change things. But but there you go. He made the decision, and um, and uh, I suppose uh, he'll always take it. It might, be, acad- we'll might be academic by 6 o'clock on yeah. Saturday night, because Sunderland might have beaten, exactly. you know, Lincoln 3-0, and they haven't used Maguire. But, I, I you know, there is, there, there is clearly a debate to be had about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just coming back to Lincoln's two goals, because the first one, um, a little bit of a, you know, slight catalogue of errors in terms of the headers that were kind of, that weren't, kind of wide and high, which you normally would like defensive headers. They kind of they were more central and kind of kept the ball alive for Lincoln without them really doing anything. Um, but but I mean, just generally at the back, the calamity of the second goal, Flanagan didn't really give Burge a chance. And then Burge kind of, I don't know whether he either misjudged or, or completely ignored Johnson who was charging him down. One of the two, because he, he smashed the ball straight against him. Um, but I mean, over the last month or so, we have made kind of those errors at the back. But as you said, Lugo Nine got moved out to to fullback, and I mean, I think even though we've been you know slightly vulnerable at the back, I think for most Lugo Nine's been the stronger of the two in the in the middle of defence in terms of him and Bailey Wright. It's been Bailey Wright that's kind of been struggling for fitness and to get that sharpness back uh, as he looked at in the first half of the season. But the other thing for me that that was clear, especially in the first half, we missed Lugo Nine's distribution from the back. Mm. The amount of times that. Tom Flanagan tried to bring the ball out and ended up having to sprint back because he, he gave the ball away. Or Bailey Wright tried a 50-yard diagonal ball, which he, he tends to love doing, and, you know, we just gave away possession or, you know, whatever. And Luke O'Nine, for all he made the odd laps at the back, he he did get us started, you know, in terms of keeping that hold of the ball and making sure that we had periods of possession and we weren't chasing the game. Uh, it's funny, I, Luke and I always reminds me of Mr. Tickle from the Mr. Men. He's just arms and legs everywhere. It's just sort of, <laughs> there's no, there's no sort of coordination. He just throws himself into it. And I think, you know, I like that. If it's, you know, if you've got someone like Bailey Wright alongside of him just to, 
bring him in under control, if you like. And and I think you're right. O'Neill does bring that to that relationship at the back. The problem with the, the the back four at the minute is it's unstable because it's been you know so changed because of the injuries. And that it, it's it, I'm not trying to find excuses, but you 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 can't have the disruption that Sunderland have had over the last few months at the back and not expect things to go a little bit awry. And Lee Burge, um, you know, I think it's fair to say, you know, he's not in terms of um, the calibre that you'd expect, um, let's say, a McLaughlin brought to the brought to the game, although he had a, a wobble himself. I think, you know, Burge is uh, flawed. There's no, there's no question. I mean, Benno raised that last night. What is it about Burge, about him coming off his line? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't command his area. And I thought it was interesting... I know it's unfortunate the emergency loan system works in the way it does and that Bursic was able yeah. to be brought in by Lincoln. But I think it demonstrated when you've got a player like Bursic in at the back who did command his penalty area, um, you, it does highlight the problem Sunderland have got at the back with you know their situation with goalkeepers. Um O'Neill is 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 the is is another enigma, isn't he? I mean, even Lee Johnson admits he just does not know what his best position is. And again, if you, you know, then decide that O'Neill's not going to play at centre back and you decide he's not really a right back, where then does he fit into the midfield system? Because he's brought in Winchester, he's got Scone, he's got Ledbitter. Do we go into next season and feel that Ledbitter, right, okay, his playing days are probably um numbered now and he'll probably go into a more coaching role and that opens up the door for an 09 if he's here so that all depends on what division Sunderland are going to be playing in next season as well because there's that huge question mark over 09's future so there are sort of problems at the back but I agree with you in terms of 09 I like it when he's focused and he's on the ball and he's you know in the game where I do worry is when he gets frustrated as he did last night and picks up and now, as I say, it's becoming almost an inevitability, mainly because of the way the games are going, that O'Neill's picking up yellow cards. And it's no coincidence that over the last two months, his yellow card tally has suddenly doubled. You know, he's now at risk of reaching 10, um, whereas two months ago, you could safely say he was going to go through a game and not not trouble the referee. So, I, it's again, I think that's, the, you know, one of the indications of the underlying problems that Lee Johnson's had predominantly over his back four. Yeah, and, and kind of sticking with that kind of the, the, the mentality um, aspect of it, you know, right across the squad. Um, one of the biggest concerns for me, and I'm sure it will be for Lee Johnson as well, that, you know, when we went 2-0 down, our our chins just seemed to, to kind of hit the floor. Um, you know, heads were down all over the pitch. Lincoln then seemed quicker to the ball. They seemed sharper. They seemed... You know, we we couldn't pick ourselves up, and it. I, I I don't know if you get a feeling of, you know, are we are we mentally weak as a squad? I mean, do, do we have this aspect to our squad where things go, things start to go south? You know, in terms of, um, you know, like you said, Luke nine and people get frustrated. I mean, do, do you think that's an aspect of this squad? I don't. I mean, I've seen that this morning. A few people have posted on social media that the team the squad's mentally weak I'm not sure I do agree with that actually because I think if you if you analyze the the experienced players in there McGeady Ledbitter Power to an extent 
I, I would never label them as mentally weak. I think, you know, far from it. Um, I spoke to Grant after the game and he was, look, there's no betrayal there of being mentally weak, believe me. I mean, quite the opposite. Um, and I, I so I, I think it's naivety. I don't think it's mental weakness. I think it's um, the arrogance of youth, if you like. We mentioned O'Neill. Um, I, I just think, you know, there are some, you know, you can look at players like, I, look, it doesn't, Gooch last night, you know, he ends up playing right back. Well, that's, again, you know, there's a flaw, isn't there, in the, in the squad, in the terms of the 18 that selected, if you end up with, you know, a player who can cause problems in the opposition penalty area playing at right back. That, that's, to me, is nonsensical. Again, it comes down to why aren't you making better use of your substitutes? You know, you've, 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 Lee Johnson said how he agonised about who to put on the bench. Well, you, you, you agonise for a week about who to put on the bench and then you don't use them or you don't use them effectively. Um, I, I think, you know, going back to the question of mental weakness, I think um, to have come through 57 games now this season, finished fourth, won a final at Wembley in front of no spectators um, and ground out some big results this season. I mean, games like Bristol Rovers away, the way they played at Portsmouth to come back at Crewe. Um, I, I, I think, you know... It, it's not mental weakness, as I say. I think it's naivety and tiredness. I think you know that is an element as well. Um, so you know there'll be people I think who will be screaming at me saying no, they're, they're they're not strong mentally. I'm I'm just not convinced that's the case. I do think it's down to a combination of, as I say, um, naivety, tiredness, and I think you've got to point the finger at Lee Johnson to an extent in the way that he set the team up and the way that he handled. Uh, the situation when they went two 0 down. I don't disagree. I think I think we've we've got the the, the players there, but um, I will play devil's advocate that I think uh, Lincoln have played the most games in the country this season. I think there was a stat that went up uh, last night, but just playing devil's advocate on the. You, on the you, um, you might be right. I'm just thinking because I know Alex Palmer, who'd been in goal until the injury and in training mm. this week, he played. He hadn't missed a game, I don't think, and he played 56 games. So mm. in fact, they yeah. Lincoln and Sunderland actually played the same number of games but have Lincoln had the disruption at the back that Sunderland have had I don't think they have because um just a sort of off on a tangent Lewis Monsmar and Ioma have basically been the two centre backs all season for Lincoln Adam Jackson was brought back in last night purely to deal with Charlie White now we know that because Adam Jackson's dad was sat right in front of us Benno knows him from when Adam Jackson was at Middlesbrough um, and Adam's father was saying the problem with Adam this season, because he signed from Hibs in the summer, the problem Adam's had is niggly injuries. And what happens? Within 15 minutes, he's picked up a niggly injury, um, which is why Jackson's not been involved. So y- y- the back the back four at Lincoln has been pretty much solid right through the season. Paul, Ayoma, Monsmar and Eden, a couple of changes, but on the whole, the changes have generally been when one of those two players is pushed into midfield and they've brought in another defender. They haven't had the level of disruption that Sunderland had. Willis, yeah. Wright, Sanderson, uh, you know, Flanagan. That, you know, that already that's just four players off the top of my head that have had longer term injuries in the season, which completely have had have, have disrupted Hume, five, um, McLaughlin, six, which has completely disrupted Sunderland's season. And, and you know, as a, you know, to counter, as you say, you know, the 
your argument to, to have that many key players missing for length, lengthy spells and still finish fourth and be in the playoffs is to, to some extent quite commendable. Yeah, I completely agree. And they've got no better opportunity to, to answer any question marks over their mentality than, than the game on Saturday as well. But, uh, but I mean, I mean, after the game, you, you mentioned uh, Lee Johnson's comments and uh, one of his comments has uh, caused a little bit of uh, uh, controversy on, on social media, of course. Anything anybody says causes controversy on, on social media. But um, he did he did say, he did mention one line. He said, um, you know, the second leg on Saturday could be one of the greatest nights in the club's history. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and I think yeah, it's got yeah, a few people's backs up. What what do you think he meant by that comment? Um, I, I think it's a, a, a little bit of a, a backlash of him trying to be upbeat. I think it's just, um, I think you can overanalyze it. I don't think in any sense, shape or form, he's trying to belittle anything that's happened before. I think he's just trying to shift the mood. I think he's trying to find a stab at optimism. You know, I think it's, I think there's no doubt that after the game last night, it was, it was clearly pessimistic. It was clearly down and everybody's, you know, um, you know, optimism's the last thing that anybody can think about having been beaten in the first leg 2-0. And I think it was just a, a, he was trying to say that, you know, we've got it within ourselves to do something on Saturday, which is, you know, a little bit against the odds. But if Sunderland do achieve it, people are turn around and say, oh, what a great afternoon it was at the Stadium of Light. You know, one of the one of the great afternoons at, at Sunderland, um, of which there have been many. And, and I, I, it, I just think, again, element of naivety, Got to give him some, I think, flexibility here. He's come into the club. He's tr- he has, as he said, tried to learn. He's trying to learn the history of the club. He's trying to get under the skin. He's trying to find out about its past, and that's all credit to him. And Kiri Louis Dreyfus is the same. You know, trying to find out more, and they're embracing that aspect of it. And I, and I think you know you're bound to put your foot in it, in, in a, yeah. you know, somewhere or another down the line. And I just think it was a a natural reaction to the disappointment of losing last night and trying to find a some positive to take into the weekend. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I do think, you know, if we turn it around on Saturday and we end up being promoted, I mean, if if this is, you know, if this means it avoids a more prolonged stretch in the third tier, then it will be a huge night in the club's history <laughs> because we don't want any more kind of, we don't want any more time at, at, at this level, um, you know, we we want to get moving and and get uh, get kind of the, the new owners' plans in place higher higher up the pyramid. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I think we've had this debate. I mean, right from the start, when you know Gary and I, when Sunderland first went down, talking about um, you know they can't stay in this division more than one season. Then it gets to two seasons. You can't stay in this division more than two seasons. It gets to three seasons. Well, it'd be a tragedy. It'll be the end if we're in this league for a third season well there's a possibility they might be in this division for a fourth season and and it, it, it won't be the end of the world they, they will you know we we will just get on with it we will start again in August and we'll have 46 games ahead of us and the trophy to defend and so on and so on but I think you know over the summer there'll be a, a rebuilding there'll be um, a, a completely new look to the team if you like in in August if it's a league one campaign if they do turn it round the weekend and they do win the playoff final, it'll be a different look team in the championship because it has to be if you're going to survive a level up. It's it's difficult sometimes to quantify it because I spoke to Grant Ledbetter last night and said to him, you know, this club 
is too big. It's massive. It shouldn't be in this division. So you've got a chance still to turn it around. And is that a challenge that as professional footballers you relish? You know, you're up against it. You've got a cliff to climb on Saturday. But amazing if you could do that, if you could turn it around, the second chance you've got this season to do it. And and I, I think Grant quite rightly wasn't quite sure how to answer it because this question of are Sunderland too big to be in League One? Yes, they are, but they are in League One. And that's not um, saying they shouldn't be there. They are there. And until they can prove that they are not a League One club on the pitch anymore, the argument is slightly sort of, um, it's diluted, isn't it? Because we can't change it. The fact is that, you know, if they're in League One next season, the fixtures will be published. They'll be going to Accrington Stanley. They'll be going to Cheltenham. They'll be going to Cambridge. Well, Forest Green, possibly. Yeah, you, you, you deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. And, and next season, then you you know start saying, right, have we got a squad to to deal with it and get out finally from League One? But um, I, it's it's uh, it's a difficult one. It it, it, it look it, it jars. It's it's horrible. And and you, you go into the into all these games, and and there's no question. You know, I looked at. Lincoln last night and the last time they were in the championship or division two, as it was, was 1961. So, you know, to to put some, some perspective on it, I guess. But there's still a chance two nil down first time fans will be present at the stadium life for what is it? 14 months. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you speak to Lee Johnson, obviously a lot more than I do. You're kind of around people, you're around things. How will he approach Saturday? Because you know, in terms of our, um, you know, how we set up, our shape, it hasn't changed. He's sometimes gone to three at the back. He sometimes tweaked things. But going off yesterday, I mean, it seems like, um, you know, from the first leg, he, he needs to kind of really overhaul quite a few parts of the team. Yes, but what do you think? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm throwing this back <laughs> at you. I know what I'm going to say here. I've, I'm almost, <laughs> OK, I'll preempt you. I don't think you, I, th- I think you'll stick with how he's been working. I, I just don't. Yeah. I think he is conservative with a small C. I, I, you know, for all the, I think last night's game almost proved to me. I think that he is risk averse. I think he doesn't like to. I mean, well, I, well, I say that Flanagan was a gamble and it was a risk, but he it burnt his fingers. And um, I think he will. I, you know, in terms of who do I think will start the game? Well, I think Flanagan will start again, and I think Wright will start, and O'Nine will be right back. McFadden will be left back. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised that Winchester comes in for um, Scoen, uh, although he likes Scoen. I just think you know, Winchester sometimes gives them legs in the middle. Uh, but again, it may well be Power and Scoen. It'll be McGeady and White. But, you know, and I think yeah, he'll probably start Gooch. So I, I just don't, you know, I, I can't see. Where you know he's he's not going to start Maguire, is he? We I, I think that's all. I mean, I'd be amazed, absolutely amazed, if he started Maguire in the game on on Saturday, and and because he'll be, I think, in his own mind, he'll be battling with this. We can't concede the first goal, but we also need to score the first goal. Um, it's a look. He's he's the man paid to make the decisions, and and we can all there can be forty thousand of us with a view on what the team should be. Ultimately, it's down to, to one man. It's Lee Johnson. He's going to make that decision. 
Yeah. And I mean, the, the only thing I'll, I'll kind of say in terms of how we might set up, I, I completely agree. I don't think he's going to make too much changes to the shape, but I, I just think, yes, you were talking about the risk there of conceding one, but I think that the payoff against an, a, an early goal for us is, is so huge that I would like to think that first 10 minutes will be right, you know, in their face on the front foot, um, putting them under pressure from the off and build it. Because it's, it's the way we play, it's almost about building that pressure up because mm. we, we pen teams in and build up the pressure and build up the pressure until they give. And one of these crosses eventually lands in the right place and, and Wike's able to, to put it away. So, it, you know, it's getting starting to build that pressure up from the off will give us the platform, hopefully, to, to get that early goal as soon as possible. I totally agree with you, but I think historically over the last few seasons, how often have we seen the opposition start the brightest at the Stadium of Light? And I, my fear is Lincoln. I mean, Michael Apton's not stupid. He knows exactly yeah. um, what Sunderland are like at home and the, the record that Sunderland... You know, it was a strange one last night because I looked at Lincoln's home record and it was poor. I mean, they've, they've only won nine of their 23 home games. And yet last night... You know that was that that went out the window. Now Sunderland have got a poor home record. Is Michael Appleton gonna? Is he gonna look at that and think, right? Look, you, we know where the weaknesses are in Sunderland playing at home. They do. They are sort of. They do sort of feel under pressure at home. And with ten thousand fans in there as well, will that increase the pressure, or will the fans coming because they're coming back after so long out? Will will they be so up for it at the start? Mm. That's when Sunderland have got to. You know they've got to use that. To, as, as, a, as a positive, they've got to really draw on that in the first 15, 20 minutes and get back in the game because the longer that goes on and, the, mm. and, and th- th- that will work against them and it will work in Lincoln's favour. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine Michael Appleton's, um, you know team talk is going to be, you know, the longer we keep this nil-nil, the longer, you know, the, the, the fans will get frustrated. Sunderland, the players on the pitch will get frustrated and, and then it's in Lincoln's hands. But yeah. From that point, that's going to be their tactics, and it's going to be a no-brainer for Michael Appleton to do mm-hmm. that. And he's got the team capable of doing it. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, we we look at those three games up until last night's, and you know you, that that even that four-nil game where they could have been two-nil up um, would have been a different game. That you know, more importantly for me, with the two games that finished one-one, because there isn't a there isn't a huge amount between the two, but there are certain players that. I think, you know, I highlighted last night George Grant, who did stand out because of the way that they play the game and the way they got on the ball and where they used it. And then, you know, they and Lincoln have got that ability. It's no question. And I think the first 10, 15 minutes on Saturday is going to tell us so much um, because I, I do think it's going to be all about momentum and um, it's going to be how, how quickly we come out the blocks, I think, on Saturday, um, whether we come out tentatively and... Lee Johnson says, "Well, there's 90 minutes, and we've got 90 minutes to score two goals." Yeah, or whether he wants he wants to get us off the mark early. <laughs> it's not over. I mean, I I, I do I, you know I, I I you know I will say and and try and be optimistic. It's not over. Two nil is 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 recoverable. I think three would have been. I think my tone would have been completely different. But and I think on the basis that Oxford, I think we're all agreeing that Blackpool are through because they've beaten Oxford three nil. That's probably way too much to overturn but 2-0 you, you, you're still in it and I think it is recoverable um, and I think the 10,000 being back in is um, that has got to be seen as a sort of the old cliche the 12th man because that really is that really could actually swing yeah. things it could be very important yeah it's going to be huge and I know you had a you had a taste of it commentating with with fans in the ground but I imagine you're looking back 
forward to getting back to the stadium alike with fans. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's just it's it's been um, oh, well, so many words. It's been weird. It's been soulless. It's it, I mean, this the one, and it's still thrown me every single game. Is that you know you've had the tannoy, you've had the music, and then it's suddenly at three o'clock, there's silence, and the game kicks off. It's it, it's just I haven't been able. Still, I still can't get my head around that. It's it's a it's a it's a, a very odd use that word discombobulating. It is you feel totally discombobulated in in that scenario, and I think you know all credit over this season for the players to have played in that sort of that atmosphere, lack of atmosphere for the number of games that they have. I, I, I think you know I don't think we give the players sometimes enough credit for you know maintaining the standards they have, albeit you know technically they might be um, League One and, and flawed in so many ways, but even so, at any level even you know league 2 to 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 maintain the, the the football and the standards and the consistency that clubs have over this period has been remarkable really because mm. you know knowing from ourselves sitting in empty stadiums trying to to conjure up some sort of atmosphere is is difficult so yeah i, I, I the, it, last night was you know i had a real tingle that, that fans being back albeit mm. they were, were all lincoln fans it was just made such a difference such a difference it just really it felt like football again it felt real again yeah well it's not over till it's over I mean it, it does have a potential to be a, you know a huge afternoon on Saturday you know like I said if we get an early goal things could get interesting but uh, but thanks again for joining us Nick it, always a pleasure no problem fingers crossed the weekend it's just a shame we can't have 30 40,000 there but look, <laughs> we're, we're hopefully you know that will that will come back next season so um, who knows fingers crossed we you know Everybody, everybody who's booked trains and hotels at Wembley, they're not going to be uh, having to cancel. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, uh, enjoy uh, kind of doing your thing in the company of supporters. And uh, unfortunately, I'll have to watch everyone on the on the box. But uh, it's going to be great to see everyone back in the stadium. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I hope you have a hope you have a great afternoon, Nick. Great, thank you very much. Pleasure. And thanks again for everyone for listening. I hope uh, we're discussing another game after Saturday. I hope we've got two more games to discuss this season and by Saturday evening we'll know if we're in with a shout or not but uh, from us for now it's bye for now When you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.